Why death? Death is the part of our lives we are so very certain about, yet we fear the most. Hiding deep within anxiety, which is a current epidemic, lies the fear of death, ours or a loved ones. But what if I told you that people who embrace death and talk about it openly have a more full spectrum life experience? We know it isn't your fault. We've been programmed to stuff our conversations and feelings surrounding end of life. By listening to other stories, you get invaluable practice. Our listeners feel more informed about what to do when they find themselves negotiating that inevitable terrain. Most of all, our listeners feel a personal expansion after sitting with someone's tender and fascinating story. That's why we say, listening will make you a better human. Promise. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us for an episode of the Death Dialogues Project podcast. I'm your host for today, Kate Bruns. My sincere hope is that no matter the reason you're tuning in, you will find something with which to relate and connect. But most importantly, I hope something you hear today brings you peace. Thanks for being with us. David Richman is an author, public speaker, and endurance athlete whose mission is to form more meaningful human connections through storytelling. His first book, Winning in the Middle of the Pack, discussed how to get more out of ourselves than ever imagined. With his next book, Cycle of Lives, David shares stories of people overcoming trauma and delves deeply into their emotional journeys with cancer. He continues to do Ironman triathlons and recently completed a solo 4,700-mile bike ride. My conversation with David is raw and deep. He lost his sister to brain cancer and walks us through the grief journey of losing his only sibling. He shares intimate details of conversations the two of them had before she died and what it's like to lose the only person who knew what it was like growing up in their household. I'm honored that David chose to share his story with the Death Dialogues Project and our listeners. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, David. Yes, Kate, I'm very happy to talk to you. Really, really excited to talk to you. Absolutely. I'm so excited that we were able to connect. Um, If you can go ahead and just kind of share with our listeners where you're located in the world, and then if you're comfortable with it, we can just jump right into um, the story of your sister, June, who passed away from brain cancer. You can talk about your relationship with her, and we can kind of chat from there. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I'm uh, in, well, just outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. My uh, wife and I moved here uh, when the pandemic started. We moved from Southern California. We had a second home here, and um, we love it. We love the desert and the open air and the less traffic and all the fun stuff that goes with not being in California. So that's where we're at. (laughs) Excellent. Well, tell us a little bit about your sister. So June, gosh, um, geez, I don't even know where to start with that. Let's tell you a little bit about her. She was a sweet she was very sweet, um, really a wonderful person. Um, we had uh, our ups and downs growing up. She used to beat the crap out of me all the time. She was about a year and a half older. 
um, all the time, like literally all the time. She used to beat the crap out of me. And I never realized why. And that's because, you know, she was always getting picked on by my mom. And so, you know, that stuff rolls downhill. But I was I was always yeah. mad at her because she got to beat me up, I don't know, countless times. One time I overpowered her and said, enough is enough. And then she never picked on me again. I mean, smart. Right? That's smart usually girl. the way it goes, um, right? <laughs> right. I got my one little, my one little, all right, you're never going to do this again to me. Talk. And then, yeah, that was it. Um, but no, we grew up, uh, we grew up in a wacky household like most people do, but we had each other, which was really great. And um, mm -hmm. we remained close, you know, we're pretty close in age, about 18 months apart. And um, uh, throughout our lives, you know, we stayed close at times. Sometimes we didn't um, at, at kind of low points in our lives. We, we, the either, the other was the first person we reached out to um, at some of the higher points as well. Um, I might've been at times a little distant. She might've been at times a little flaky, but we always knew that we were there for each other. Mm -hmm. um, she had a wonderful husband, um, two young kids, uh, great job, um, great circle of friends and really living a great life. You know, very, very happy, very love, lovable and loving. Um, and just, a, just a wonderful person. Everybody loved June. I mean, boy, they really did. I mean, she, she really meant a lot to a lot of people because she was a really kind soul. And so, yeah, that's pretty much her in a nutshell, at least from my perspective. Okay. Did you and June have other siblings? We did not. So okay. um, our parents were really different in age, Kate. Um, mm -hmm. When my parents were married, my mom was 18 and my dad was 56. And wow. so. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Uh, they were 60, uh, 59 and 21 when I was born. So just a little bit, um, little, little, no, it's a pretty wacky difference. But I'm sure that her and I have step uh, uh, half-brothers out there somewhere, half-brothers and sisters out there somewhere. But if we do, they're decades and decades older than us, right? Sure. You know, from my dad's side. So, but, mm -hmm. but, but no, it was just the two of us. And, you know, when I'll jump ahead real quick, just to, just to, uh, finish the thought, but when um, she died, I was able to grieve a lot of stuff during the process of her dying. Um, but one of the things I, it took me many years to un even know I had to grieve was the fact that I kind of lost the only person that knew me as a kid, you know, cause oh. my dad's, my dad died when I was young, uh, been estranged from my mom for nearly 40 years. And so the only person that knew me as a kid really um, was June. And so with her gone, um, I'm like, holy cow, man, who am I ever going to talk to about that stuff other than myself? Nobody. Yeah. You know, so that, that's an interesting dynamic to have to deal with. It really is. You know, it's something that you don't, you don't think much about. That's something that, that I know my sister and I have talked about as, you know, when our mom died and, you know, thinking through, you know, now my mom's sister is really the only one left. Um, that, you know, both of their parents are gone. Now her sister is gone and that was her only sibling and thinking about how odd that must be. Um, how do you, how do you navigate something like that when you're kind of in that, that period of isolation in your grief and recognizing that that was the, really the only person who knew you at that age? Yeah, it kind of hit me all at once. We can get to this, but on the bike ride that I did for the, for the book that I wrote, 
um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, I'm sure. But it, it, I didn't go searching for that. I didn't even know I had that grief as part of my being, right? I just, mm-hmm. I kind of came up with this analogy um, that that people's lives are like a big, complicated, ridiculous, like ten thousand piece puzzle, and I, you know, if you ever done a puzzle, like the worst thing in the world is, you know, if you sit down for hours, you know, over a month's period with a 2,500 piece puzzle or something. And if there were a couple of pieces missing, it's just like, it's just the most frustrating, heartbreaking thing. Um, you know, because you spend all that time on it, but, but we, our lives are like, you know, 10,000, 20,000 piece puzzles. And you know what? I've just kind of realized that sometimes you're going to be missing some pieces. And so I, I alternate between the thought of it really, really stinks that I'm uh, that I've got those missing pieces, you know, those links to somebody that understands somebody I could talk to somebody that knows me, somebody that knows I know them that way. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what? Sometimes the puzzle is going to be missing some pieces and you're just going to have to deal with that. Yeah, that acceptance piece is so huge. Um, Mm -hmm. The last person that I I recorded with, we talked a little bit about that, that acceptance piece and how you get there. And he talked a lot about just trusting yourself and knowing that you're going to be okay. And and that's just that's so huge. Um, And something that kind of strikes me about your story is that, you know, we talked a little bit about the complication of relationships. And I imagine that had to be really challenging, uh, losing her for a number of reasons, but especially because you had that complicated relationship with your parents as well. Um, is that, is that true? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit ahead of time and I appreciate you giving me that time, but yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, you know, my dad was very old and, and he was an old, old, he wasn't a young old and he was an old, old and, um, he died when I was 23, but he was a really old man when he died. Like I, I, you know, he wasn't age wise. He was only, you know, about 75 or 80 years old, but he was a really old dude. So I didn't have much in common with him or have uh, much of a dialogue with him. My mom at that point was long out of my life when I was 23 and hasn't been, hasn't been in my life since. So she's not anybody that I would talk to. So, you know, really I've only had the people that have passed through in my life as an adult that have been, I, I don't have any friends from, from when I was young. And, you know, really the only person that kind of kept me, you know, linked to that childhood was June. And so, um, you know, I've always kind of really held on to and really tried to establish really deep, meaningful, you know, authentic, honest, um, you know, uh, lasting relationships with the people that are closest to me. In my case, it's my current wife and my two kids. Um and, um, you know, and obviously several friends, but, um, but yeah, I probably try super, super hard, um, to really, um, care for those relationships because those other relationships I just mentioned weren't cared for, uh, for me. Yeah, you know? that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I can, I can tell that you genuinely care about those relationships just in the, the short amount of time that we've been talking um, I'm curious if you have any thoughts about, um, you know, why do you think you don't have any relationships from childhood, like with friends and things like that? Uh, part of, you know, it's partly the times, uh, partly circumstance, um, you know, like, um, 
I left home at 18 and I, I left home kind of under cover of night and disappeared um, and kind of made myself a new life um, by accident and um, didn't stay in touch with anybody only because back then, how are you going to stay in touch? You just, you, you just call people, right? There's no social media or texting or any of that that stuff you you call people and really when you're like 18 years old and you're trying to figure out your way in a strange town and i don't want to bore you with a bunch of boring stories but i mean i would i'd been i'd been i'd been robbed at gunpoint of everything i owned i was living out of my car i'm just trying to figure out how to survive and and stay alive um i'm not going to call a friend from high school and go, hey, how's it going? I mean, I don't even know if I had a phone book. You know, we used to keep these mm-hmm. little black books with people's phone numbers. In. I don't even know if I had that. So, um, I, you know, I, I, you know, just by those circumstances, I couldn't stay in touch with people. And then time goes by, and what are you gonna? Yeah, you know, how do you get back in touch with those people? You didn't. There was no place to look it up, or you know, you know, whatever. And so, mm-hmm. it just by by those circumstances, I just didn't have that connectivity. And then you know, as an adult, you know, later in life, I'm not going to, when, when you could connect to people, I mean, decades have gone by. Why am I going to connect to somebody I knew, you know, 25 years ago? When, yeah. what, what am I going to talk to him about? Oh, geez. So how have you been, you know? Right. That, so I take it, you don't go to your high school reunions. <laughs> ah. No, no, I don't. I, I, I don't. And look, um, Oh, how can I say this? I'm not a huge look in the rearview mirror kind of guy. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, and uh, we talked a little bit before about being in a bad relationship and I, I was in a horrible relationship. My kids were very young. I got out of the house, took them with me, gave them a place of safety and gave myself a place of safety. And, and I kind of realized that at that point that I need to forge forward. I need to build my path. I need to take steps to become who I wanted to become and not work on fixing stuff in my past, right? I'd married somebody who I tried to fix because I tried to fix a relationship with my mom that I never could, right? So that's all living in the past and living in all the junk. And I just, I like looking out the front front mirror. And so things like a, things like a reunion, boy, wouldn't I love it if I had kids that were grew up to be adolescent and young adult and adult friends and that we could reminisce and do, I don't have that. So why am I going to mm-hmm. try to make it up? Right. Yeah. Or regret that I don't have it. I have so many wonderful, great things that other people don't have or, or weren't lucky enough to have. And so I, I'm going to focus on what I do have and what what's ahead of me. I'm not really a look in the rearview mirror kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that can be applied to so many different things, especially kind of surrounding the the topics that we often talk about on this podcast, which is death and and relationships and looking back and trying to, you know, think of ways we could have changed it. You know, a lot of times it won't do any good. And so I think that's relatable in so many facets to life. Um, you know, you talk about, you know, getting into a relationship that wasn't very good for you. Um, I'm wondering if June had any kind of ideas about that. Did she know about that? How close were you and June as you kind of navigated that, that marriage and and leaving that marriage? So I think that, um, and it's a great question, Kate, but I think that, um, you know, when you're a kid, you don't, 
let too many people know what kind of crap is going on at home because you're embarrassed or there's shame or there's whatever. And you just try to fix it when you're in the home, but nobody else really knows. Mm -hmm. And I think, right. I mean, that's a, that's a concept I think a lot of people can understand. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when I uh, married my kid's mom, the dysfunction and most of it um, was hidden uh, not from everybody and not at all times, but it was mostly hidden. And, and I was partly there to, to clean up those messes, right? Because that's, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go in and fix situations that were broken because I couldn't fix the things that were broken in the past. And um, so I don't know that she knew as much as what was going on. And certainly a lot of people didn't because I was really good at covering it all up. Mm-hmm. But I remember Kate one time, uh, I had a friend, we, we, we each had boats. We were in a boat like, uh, across like about 20 at an Island, about 20 miles off the coast of California. We were looking back and we're laying on our, uh, on the bows of our boat and lamenting life. And I just looked at him and I went, buddy, I go, I can't handle it anymore. We're like, this woman is just so mean and she's so nasty. And it's like, ah, and he, he stood up on his boat and he's like, dude, you are the problem. Stop complaining about her. You're the problem. And I went, what? You know, I'm getting ready to get into a fight with a guy. I go, I'm not the problem. She, he goes, I've been listening to you complain for a couple of years about this whole situation. He goes, you're the issue, dude. He goes, she's a rabid dog. She doesn't know any better. You do know better. You know, you can't change her. It's you, right? You got to fix yourself. You got to walk away and deal with your life. You can't fix her. That's not, that's not, that's not your deal right? Your deal is to worry about you and your kids and your life. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. All I'm doing is wasting my life trying to fix the things that are broken and finding things that are broken to try to fix, to like make up for my childhood or whatever. And boy, oh boy, is that the wrong tactic? And I just, it was just, you know, kind of hit me over the head with a sledgehammer that I got to worry about myself. I got to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a what a wake up call and what what a place to have that wake up call. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, it it was a wake up call and one that I definitely you can tell from my passion. I haven't forgot about it, right? I mean, yeah, it was so profound that um, that oftentimes when you're complaining about a situation or you're complaining about your job or you're complaining about whatever, a lot of times, really, I mean, you do have the power to fix it. Just just mm-hmm. just fix it. Like, yes. like if fixing it means walking away or changing your reality or accepting that it's not perfect or changing your attitude about how you approach it or whatever, just do it. You have the power to do it. And, and I didn't know that I did until then. And, um, once I realized I have the power to do it because I need to put myself first and put the things that are important to me first, um, uh, th- that was that was a, a definitely a seminal moment in my life. Absolutely, that's uh, something that I think so many people, at, at one point or another, they come to that realization in their lives. And um, a lot of times, it's so much later in life. I feel I feel lucky to have realized that. Um, just probably just a few years back, probably less than ten years ago, um, kind of going through you know, some of the things we talked about before we started Mm -hmm. recording. And then with my, my mom's death, kind of realizing, you know, putting boundaries in place is so important, 
putting yourself first is so important. And you, that, that old adage, you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, it just, I think we don't think very deeply about those things often enough. Um, we just kind of hear them as buzzwords and buzz phrases. And then, and then we just kind of keep moving and doing the same thing, um, which is not helpful for anyone. So um, that's, that's very interesting. Um, so you, you talked about how you kind of hid your, kind of what was going on at home from people, um, except for this friend. So um, coming back to June and your, your relationship with her, um, so she was not aware of what was going on in your home life. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. I mean, not to the extent of how bad it was. I mean, it was bad. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, I mean, it was bad. Right. And, and, you know, that's a long time ago. So there's been a heck, a heck of a lot of good that's happened in my life mm-hmm. way out time that little bad, bad moment, but it was bad. It was, it was, you know, I mean, at one point, Kate, I mean, I had to call the police for spousal abuse. And when the police came, they arrested her for assaulting a police officer as well. So, I mean, it was bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's terrible. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. And people look, people, you, you witness violence. Pe- people are just, and they don't even know they're doing it sometimes because they're just jacked up or they, they're just not aware. Or they're just not evolved enough or whatever. Um, you know, they're, maybe they're just frustrated and they, that's the only way they need to show their frustration. It's just, you know, sometimes you, you just got to figure out a way to change your circumstances and your reality. So I, uh, June was terribly supportive, very, very supportive of me, um, um, leaving that situation. And, and honestly, it was very soon after, and this was a kind of a weird dichotomy in our lives was that when I finally just started saying, okay, look, I'm going to protect me. I'm going to protect my kids. I'm going to stop trying to fix something that can't be fixed. I'm going to take accountability for the way that I live my life. I'm going to start, you know, changing my, at that point I was an overweight smoker. So I said, I want to stop smoking. I want to get in shape. I like, I'm taking control of all of this stuff because I'm looking at who I want to be down the road. Literally Mm -hmm. at that exact same time period, June called me up and said, Hey, I got terminal brain cancer. So she was, so she's taken a, a path the other way, right? Her, her path is how much time do I have until I'm dead? And my path was, I'm finally feeling like I'm taking control of my life. So she was really supportive of me taking control of that and building for a future. Um, at the same time as she was grappling with the fact that she wasn't going to have one. I mean, very sweet, very uh, unselfish, very altruistic and, and very real. So we were able to have a lot of really good talks, uh, because she had a keen awareness that it was okay for me to look forward. I didn't have to feel guilty about that, even though she wasn't going to be able to, because she cared for me to have a better future. And, and so she was super supportive of the changes that I was going through. Um, and the, you know, the, the path that I was now on, and it was a, it's a path I haven't haven't really veered from um, since then. You know, always looking to uh, be accountable to myself and build a better life for me and those people I care about. Um, and and at the same time, she, she had to kind of grapple with the fact that she was going to leave her husband and kids and friends and life behind. And so it was a really moving time in that in that respect. 
Hmm. I think in in my reading about you, I imagined, you know, she was diagnosed and then you kind of had this revelation in your life where you wanted to get healthy and things like that. It's interesting that it kind of happened in reverse um, where you made those decisions and made those choices to kind of turn your life around. And then she was diagnosed. Um, did I'm, I'm curious if you and June had conversations about any guilt that you may have been feeling or any, I guess, any feelings that came up surrounding you looking forward to a better life while she looked at the end of hers? Yeah. And that's a natural question to ask. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to insert myself back into a lot of our conversations. There wasn't a lot of uncomfortableness about the topics that we had. Um, You know, it's like, I don't even know how to explain it really. She just kind of had this like calming presence where, you know, I mean, look, we're, I do remember one time we're on the porch, Kate, at at her house and our kids are in the backyard. Uh, I think her husband was inside and they were bouncing around on a, on a trampoline. And, you know, I've got kids that are just a couple years younger than hers and her kids are still very young. And, um, she says, she looked over at me and she goes, you know, the thing that sucks about dying. And I went, what? And she said that I'm not going to get to see my kids grow up. I mean, that really sucks. And I went, Oh my God, I know that's how lucky am I that I'm going to get to do that. And she's like, yeah, you are. She goes, it just sucks. Now, I mean, it's a very, very heavy subject to have, right? But one where she didn't hold it against me that I was going to get that. And I didn't feel like I needed to apologize to her that she wasn't going to get that. It was just the reality of the fact that she felt comfortable enough to say that to me. I totally understood the depth of what she was saying. Um, and it, it's just, that was just the reality of it, that she wasn't going to be able to get her kids grow up. And, you know, at that point and still now today, I'm lucky enough to be able to see mine. So, um, yeah, it's, we, we, we did have a lot of really open discussions. There wasn't a lot of uncomfortable, uncomfortableness or guilt or uh, stepping on toes and, you know, like being all nervous. There wasn't a lot of that. I'm not going to say that, you know, we were, you know, totally adept at bearing our every ounce of our heart and soul to each other, but we were pretty good at it. How did you, how did both of you get to be that way? You know, a lot of the people that, that I know kind of personally, and I suppose maybe even a little bit through this podcast, um, talking about death for, for many people, I would say most people is so incredibly difficult. Um, there's so much discomfort around it and so much denial around it. How do you think you guys knew, um, to be comfortable talking about it and how did you know how to talk about it? Um, if I were to think hard about it, I, 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 and I have, right. I have thought very hard about it, but in the moment you asked that question, I I'd have to say that there wasn't another reality. There wasn't another, look, I, I, I just found out last night that a, a friend of mine passed away very suddenly. I just found that out last night. And there's a big group of people, big group of friends that are just completely absolutely devastated they don't even believe that it that that it happened and um like it's it's just hard to even wrap your brain around death and how quick and final and unforgiving and just miserable and it's just 
It's, it's just a sad, sad, terrible thing. And there's no way to make it anything but that. Now, we can learn from it. We can be inspired from it. We can change from it. We can uh, 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 spin positive from it. There's a lot of things that we can do. But it's just horrible. There's nothing other than that. It's just horrible. Now, that said, if you deal with the fact that there's the reality that there is death, and there is, in the case of some people, the absolute undeniable certainty around your own death. That, that if you're willing to just accept that, and a lot of us can't accept it. I don't know how I would deal with it if I was dealt with a terminal diagnosis, but she understood that it was that. And she's not doesn't mean she's not going to fight, doesn't mean she's not going to hope, but really, I mean, the reality is that this cancer is going to kill her one way or another. And I just think that that kind of grace and understanding that by denying it along the way, she's going to not have the closure and the deep conversations that her and her loved ones need to have. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's just a, a grace, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a way of carrying yourself that, that, that pulls all this into the reality of, I can't deny it. It is there. And it's going to be final and it's going to be forever. You know, one of the people that I wrote about in the book, um, she she tells this really poignant story of how her mom used to give the kids little bells to ring when they were sick and and that she would come running if they needed anything. And then when her mom had cancer and her mom couldn't move anymore, you know, needed help, she gave her a bell and her mom's like, what's this bell for? And she reminded her mom of, of what what her mom did for, for her, her and her siblings as a kid. And then she said, and you remember what you told me, mom? And, and the mom goes, I don't really remember. And she goes, you told me that be grateful for the person ringing the bell. Cause when they stop ringing the bell, they're going to be gone forever. And I thought, wow. man, that is a very, very touching, like really real graceful way to deal with that reality. And I, I want to believe, and I do believe that June just had that understanding that if she didn't face it, if she didn't accept it, then she wouldn't be able to have some of the meaningful conversations she needed to have with some people like me. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, I, I don't know how any other way to explain it. Yeah. How do you think those conversations that you and June had, how do you think those conversations have informed how you have accepted um, or maybe how you feel about your own death? Or do you hmm. think much about it? I, I don't think much about it. Um, I'm probably more in the camp of most people. Like we can't wrap the brains around the fact that we're not um, like immortal, you know, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to wrap your brain around that thought. Like, how do you just one day turn off the light? Now, maybe there's some other light you turn on after you turn off the light, but how do you just, it's, it's a really tough, tough concept to understand. And one that everybody faces, right. And, or not, maybe you never have to face it because of a, an accident or something else, or, you know, you lose your mind and you don't have the capacity to deal with that thought. But, I, I'm not really sure that I have gotten to a point where I'm willing to give you an opinion on how I feel about it. Cause I, I, I don't, I don't know that I'm not somewhat living in denial too. And look, I just wrote a book about 15 people dealing with the emotional journeys of cancer. 
And some of those stories involved death and dying. And a couple of those stories were from doctors who have been witnessing death and dying for you know decades and decades. So I've, I've really explored the topic in probably as detailed a way as, as, as one can, who's not, you know, a psychologist, psychiatrist or whatever. Um, uh, you know, and I still don't know that I'm prepared to explain how I feel about it. Cause I, I don't know if I can wrap my brain around it yet. Hmm. Uh, that's a very honest answer and I appreciate it. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit more about your book. Well, the book came, um, it's the start of the book came from a conversation I had with June. So, uh, she was near the end of her life. She, we could tell she was not doing well. She was a couple of years into, she had, she lived about four years after her diagnosis. Um, and there was a relay for life going on and, um, she wanted to be there for the, for the relay for life. She wanted to cheer on the people that were there to take, you know, give, give her uh, attention and love and support and all of that. And she said, man, dude, I would love to be there for the whole 24 hours. So anything I'm going to do, I'm going to, if I'm on the tent, prop me up on it, you know, whatever. And I said, okay, well, listen, as bad as you are. And by this time I had stopped smoking. I was athletic. I started to do endurance events. I've done some Ironmans. I've done some 50 mile runs. And I was so impressed with her ability to commit to being there for the whole 24 hours that I said, I'll run for the whole 24 hours. I'll be on the track running the whole time. So we can look at each other the whole time. And it was a really nice little pack that we made with each other. Um, right before the the Relay for Life, like two days before she died. Oh, my God. And so she wasn't able, yeah, it was really tragic. So she wasn't able to be there. But, you know, obviously the whole team was there and everybody was there. And I just said, I'm going to be there for the whole 24 hours. So I'm going to hold up my end of the commitment. And I was on the track the whole time. And I noticed at that time, Kate, that. People, it just hit me that people were really good about dealing with the tasks around their cancer. You know, how do I find the best treatment? And what does this cancer mean for that cancer? And how much is too much radiation? And where do my, how do I get my kids uh, watched while I'm in the chemo chair? And how do I navigate time off of work? And how do I get meals to my family? And all this stuff they were pretty good about, like talking about openly. But when it came to the emotional side of things, uh, people were very unequipped, especially when it came to how do you talk to others and connect with others that are in your life that are going through something difficult. It's really, mm -hmm. I just noticed that that was a dynamic that was just unbelievable. And so that was the start of it. And um, sorry for the long answer, but what I did was I said to myself, geez, you know, how can we maybe try to change that? Because we're just you know, we're just not equipped to like, like we're, we're definitely more equipped to talk about bullying, right? Um, uh, bullying, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't talk about bullying and we're starting to become more equipped about talking about PTSD, you know, about, 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 you know, dealing with trauma, right? We're starting to become aware of these things and, and be better equipped and have the tools to talk in the language to talk about these things. But really when it comes to the emotional side of grief, of cancer, of trauma, of really difficult things, death and dying. We're just not, we just don't have that language. So I said, how could we maybe make a difference? And so I said, what I'd like to do is to find people all different ages, all different types of cancer, all different severities of cancer, patient, loved one, doctor, caregiver, medical professional, uh, executive in the healthcare field, you name it. And I want to talk to them about how traumas in their life affected their ability 
or more likely their inability to connect with the people that they care about during times of trauma. And I thought if we could get into, if I could get into their heads and really understand the makeup and, and, and what's behind their ability to talk about these things or their inability to talk about these things, if I could tell those stories in a true, authentic, evocative way, then maybe the reader could learn how to better talk to the people in their lives that are going through this, or if you're going through it, how to talk to the people in your lives that are trying to grapple with it and, and communicate with you. Because in the end, don't we want to have this greater connection to people that are going through things that we care about? And so that was the genesis of the book. And, and, and that's what I set out to do. Wow. Pretty lofty I, goal, uh, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and did you feel like you achieved that goal? Uh, so sometimes I'm a fraud. Sometimes I, I have imposter syndrome. Yes. I'll, I'll admit to sure. that, but you know what? Sometimes, sometimes I get a note and the note, uh, like, I'll just tell you a couple, like I, I got a note from a, from a critical care nurse and she said, you know what? I've been doing this for 15 years and I am more energized to do my job because I just, I, I always thought I knew how hard it was on people. Now I know. And I thought, wow, that's fantastic. I did a podcast with a guy who quit being a gastroenterology oncologist and started a podcast at his own foundation and really was moving on to other things in his life. But he was a he was a uh, gastroenterology oncologist for, for a couple of decades, right? Nothing good comes from that. And he <laughs> sent me this beautiful note, right? He sent me this beautiful note. And he said, the first time I read your book, I read it in horror. He said, I realized what a crappy doctor I was. He says, I was so ashamed and embarrassed because I had no idea what my patients were going through. He said, and the second time I read it, I read it as a human being. And I just, I was so inspired by these people's stories. And I just went, wow. So um, I do think that I, I did it in a way that the stories are inspirational. They're, they make you think they, they put, we, we talked, you, you mentioned something earlier. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't um, latch onto it um, back then, but now I'm going to. You said something earlier about like kind of how trite sayings don't really help anybody. Um, mm -hmm. And you realize that there's so much behind the thought of you'd never know what people are going through or you never know what they have gone through. There's so much behind that thought. And I think that um, that these stories are relatable because who hasn't dealt with abuse or abandonment or isolation, or mm -hmm. addiction, or bad choices, or really difficult things that affect them in times of difficulty and trauma later in life. And, mm -hmm. and I think that we can identify with all these stories because these are real people like you and me who mm -hmm. are bearing their souls and are telling us things uh, from an emotional level on what, what, what it feels like to have gone through those traumas and how those are affecting their lives today. Um, and so I do, I, 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 I am proud of the stories because, um, you know, I had to send all the stories to the people to say, Hey, are you okay with me putting these stories out there? And, you know, all, mm -hmm. all 15 that finally made the book were, were definitely okay with it. Um, and I, I do get, I, I do get the feeling that the stories um, help people and inspire people. And uh, if nothing else, 
um, allow them just a little bit more insight into that little trite saying of, you never know what somebody's going through, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it kind of gives a voice or a face to that saying when you hear people actually explain what they are going through or what they've been through, especially when it yeah, can, when can it I, surrounds trauma and yeah. Yeah, can I give you a quick story about one of the book participants in that exact thought? Please so, do. Okay, so the the story is um Patricia and uh, I, I'm going to tell you a trite saying that we all have heard. Okay. And it makes a lot of sense. And I would shrug my uh, shoulders and roll my eyes if you would have told me this. And if you and I kind of knew each other, even if we were super close and I was having a really tough time and you said to me, just put your feet on the ground and get out of bed and figure out a way to go about your day. I would like shrug my shoulders and roll my eyes. I mean, like, really, really, that's what you're going to tell me. Right. So when I'm, Interviewing Patricia and I talked to her for a couple of years. All the book subjects, uh, participants, I don't, they're not subjects, they're participants in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to for a lot, a lot of hours, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of hours. So Patricia tells me this story and it is about her um, uh, taking care of her mom. But there's more to her story. She also took care of her dad while her dad's going through cancer. And by the way, she had cancer five different times, five different oh cancers over a 35-year period. Imagine that. Imagine living your whole life having dealt with breast cancer, thyroid cancer, lympho you name it, every type of cancer possible, every amount of radiation, every chemo cocktail. I mean, one time our oncologist, when she said, whatever it is, just cut it out. He's like, dude, there's nothing left to cut out. Right. I mean, she's lived that kind of crazy, ridiculous existence. Right. That's not her story. Right. Her story is she had somebody by her side. She met him very, very shortly before receiving her first cancer diagnosis. And he's been with her his, his, uh, her whole life. Um, your whole cancer life and her whole adult life. And they've been married for going close now on to 40 years um, and how she's been able to love and to be loved um, while she's going through this stuff. And that's not even her story. So when I, when I finally got down into her story, her story was about um, early in her life. Uh, she met someone who was a very famous um, creative person. I don't want to give too much detail away who was exceptionally abusive to her physically and mentally um, cut her off from her friends and family from a job. If she looked at somebody, he would beat the crap out of her. If he thought that she was looking at somebody, he would beat the crap out of her. It was horrible. She couldn't get out until she uh, took over a couple of year period, a penny here and a nickel there and set up an account wore, wore double clothes and hid one of them at work. I mean, it was just, it was, it was ridiculous, right? That is absolutely amazing. So for me, when I talked to her and I found out that she was strong enough to get out of that relationship, that she was strong enough to make somebody uh, understand that she could accept love and and love somebody else, strong enough to get through five different cancers over a 35-year period and be a caregiver to her parents. When I asked her what was the secret, Kate, I said, how how did you do it? And she said to me, well… Every day, David, every day of my life, the first time I got cancer on, she goes, every single day, I just figured out a way to put my feet on the ground. And I got up out Mm -hmm. of bed and I made my bed. 
And I went about my day and she said, sometimes after I made my bed, I fell right back into it because I didn't have the strength to go any further. But, you know, that's what you got to do in life. You got to put your feet on the ground. You got to make your bed and you got to go about your day. And I went, wow. You know, I'm even tearing up a little <laughs> bit now telling you the story because that is a trite ass saying, get up out of bed, put your feet on the ground and go about your day. And I would roll my eyes at it. But when you realize that somebody has that kind of a mentality, mm -hmm. having gone through what she has gone through, having lived this rich, beautiful, deep, tragic, you know, horrible, wonderful life. And her secret is, David, you got to figure out a way to get up out of bed, put your feet down, go make your bed and go about your day. I'm like, whoa. I mean, that's what's behind that saying, right? Oh, and so... Gosh. It's not a trite little saying. And, and, and sometimes what we don't do is we don't give ourselves a chance to really understand the wisdom, the, the caring that people have when they tell us these trite little sayings or when we mm -hmm. hear these trite little things or when we kind of want to just cheerlead ourselves out of a bad situation. There's so much more behind it and there's so much more we can mm -hmm. take from learning from people's experiences that now when somebody says, Oh man, I'm just figuring out a way to get up out of bed. I know there's a hell of a lot more to it than that. And it gives me yes. an opportunity to, to, to connect with them, you know, that I, this Patricia story has my mind kind of swirling with all of these sayings that I've heard throughout my life. Um, and sitting here thinking like that person and that person, that person, and I have no idea why they said the things that they said, you know, thinking about you talking to these people for dozens and dozens of hours before you kind of got down to the root of it. And mm -hmm. it just, you know, it makes me think how really truly how much people go through and, and not just some people, but really everybody, everybody's got their story. And um, so I'm, I'm very, very excited to read your book. And it has, I work actually in a healthcare system and I was thinking as you were talking about some of the, the doctors and nurses that I work with who, you know, are, are obviously getting a little bit burnt out from the pandemic and from working in healthcare mm -hmm. for a long time. And it's making me want to just buy a bunch of copies of your books and just kind of hand them <laughs> out and say, like, let's just have a read. We could have a book club. We've actually, um, in my, my unit, actually talked about getting involved in, in kind of a book club type situation. I have an awesome job. Um, and so I think, you know, your, your book, I am sure has helped countless numbers of people and I'm, I'm so excited to, um, read it in full and hopefully we can connect again after, because I, I would love to, to talk with you more deeply about that, but I'm, you know, I'm wondering, we're about 45 minutes in right now, and I feel like I could talk mm -hmm. to you for hours on end, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I'm wondering if kind of to wrap things up, if you can maybe um, talk about maybe the biggest lesson you learned as you were going about interviewing people and writing your book. Mm -hmm. um, it's tough to say the biggest lesson I learned because when you write a story about one person, um, you can take kind of the highlights or lowlights or whatever, the poignant moments in that person's story and kind of say, wow. And, and that's like a, 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 
you know, an arrow in your quiver, right? That's like a, oh man, that, that, that's an inspirational thought. That's an inspirational mm-hmm. vision that I'll carry it with me, or it's a tragic one or whatever. Um, uh, interviewing all of the people that he did and the 15 that made the book and all the people I met along the way, there was a million lessons I learned. And I'm very, very grateful for the exercise to have gone through it because, um, you know, I think that, I think that, um, that I'm way better for it. Like I'm, I'm a better person for it. I'm, you know, I've always been sensitive, always been caring, but I, I, it's at a different level, right? Because, Mm -hmm. because what we just talked about, you never know what people are going through. But I think the biggest lesson that I learned through this, and it kind of takes away a little bit of the punchline to the book is, um, that it, it's okay to be an idiot and (laughs) it's okay to ask the wrong question the worst thing that we can do to people, and listen, I'm not going to be preachy at all, Kate. I'm not preachy at all. But I will say, I know for certain, I learned this today. I know for certain that there's people out there that are having, there's people in your life, there's somebody in every listener's life that has a very difficult thing that's going on right now. And we don't want to invade their space, or we haven't talked to them in so long that we feel that it's uncomfortable to talk to them now, or we don't want to say the wrong thing, or mm-hmm. whatever. I know that's, I know every single person can flip through two, three, five, ten people right now that if they had the guts to pick up the phone and call and say, geez, I've been a jerk for not asking you this question, or I've been a jerk for kind of abandoning you a little bit, or I've let other unimportant things get in front of you and me, I bet we could all do that. And, mm-hmm. and I know I can. Um, I, I'm sure you can. I'm sure everybody can. And so I think the thing that I, I learned through this and talking to all the people is, is, is um, that that you can't say anything stupid. You're not going to say the wrong thing if you're authentic and you care and you're trying to connect with them on a deep level and you're listening and you mean it and you're willing to be an idiot and you're willing to say the wrong thing. They just want to know you care. People just want to know you care. And um, they don't know what the hell to say either. But they mm-hmm. certainly don't want to be isolated as they're going through difficult times. And so mm-hmm. push the boundary a little bit. At, you know, again, I, I don't want to be pre- preachy, but I, you asked me what lesson I learned. And that is mm-hmm. push the boundary a little bit. Accept the fact that you're going to possibly say the wrong thing. Um, it's okay. It's okay to say the wrong thing. You know, I used to pick up the phone when June called and I go, hey, June, how's it going? Then I go, oh. You're such an ass, a hole. She's dying. What do you think? How is she doing? Why would you ask such a stupid question? Right? That would be the immediate thought that goes through my head. And she go, oh, "I'm fine. Hey, anyway, da 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 da." Right? And it's like, yeah. just don't beat yourself up. Just pick up the phone and talk to people and and show them that you care. The the lesson that I learned is that's what everybody wants. That is such a good lesson. And I think to, to kind of go off your what you what you said to June and how she just kind of go on about the conversation. Uh, I want to share my mom was diagnosed with lymphoma uh, about a month before she died. Um, and the day that she was diagnosed, I was sitting on my bed crying. And my husband said, Why don't you just call and check in on her and just see, you know, what she's doing, how she's doing. And so I did and I called and she picked up and she always said, she always picked up, said, hi, honey. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm just thinking about legally changing my name. And I said, to what? And she said, Lucy Lymphoma. <laughs> <laughs> and I- 
really and sweet. you know through my through yeah. my tears and la- I said mom that's not funny and she said then why are you laughing and it was it's mm-hmm. one of those moments that you know I sat on the bed crying not knowing what to do what to say and my husband just said just call her you know just check in you know it's it's better to make that connection always and um you know that was one of my fondest memories of her because it was just it was so per- it so perfectly summed up her sense of humor and mm. it was one of those things that that I will truly never forget and so I it really resonates with me what you said about just making the connection and you might say something wrong you might say something that you know maybe doesn't quite fit the bill but it's it's it was better to have that conversation I think for both of us and so I I sure appreciate your insight that's a great memory and thank you for sharing that because look at how worse would you be if you hadn't had the guts to make that call and and thankfully yes. your husband did that you know because you might not have yeah. done it on your own and how how wonderful is that yes absolutely well is there anything that that you wanted to talk about on on this episode um, that I haven't asked you about? I think the only thing is, is I haven't told you that hundred percent of the net proceeds go to support the cancer focused charities and hospitals and other things that each one of the book participants picked. So, um, so the book, uh, the book is doing hopefully number one priority is to help people, you know, engage in these conversations and maybe be empowered to do so. The second thing, and it's a distant second because books don't make a lot of money, but hundred percent of the proceeds are going to, to, uh, to the organizations. Um, you know, and the third thing is hopefully you'll find it a good read and, and want to continue to read books and continue to read my books. So, um, yeah, that's the only thing I would say, you know, um, you can get books wherever they're sold. In fact, the audible just came out. So if you don't have time to read the book, listen to the audible. I I think it's amazing because I had, 15, I hired 15 different actors, um, Kate, to, to wow. play each one of the people. That and is so very cool. Real, in fact, I haven't even, I haven't even listened to the whole thing yet. Cause it's so freaking emotional and I mean, in a good way too, right? Good tears too. Yeah. But to yeah. hear the voices of the people, especially a couple of them that, that, have, that are no longer with us, um, to hear the voices of the people that are telling that first person story. It's just, <laughs> whew, it's, it's amazing. So that's all I'd want to say. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. The book is called Cycle of Lives, and I uh, will put down kind of the, where you can get it, which websites, um, which places you can purchase the books through. When we um, publish the recording, we'll put it under the in the little blurb of the podcast um, so that people can can be sure to go out and buy that. Um, David, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Uh, you've kind of you have a, a really cool way of combining grief with inspiration, and I, I sure have enjoyed talking with you. So thank you. Oh, me too, Kate. You're very good question asker. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, uh, fill in for Becky anytime you can. Um, <laughs> and uh, honestly, yeah, keep, keep doing what you're doing and and sharing your wisdom. And yeah reach out. If you do the book club thing, reach out. I'll even uh, like come talk to your book club uh, virtually or whatever. We'll have some fun. That would be amazing. Thanks so much. Okay. All right. right, We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. We 
We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.